welcome to the College Football Bros, the podcast that is quietly undefeated. And now, here are your hosts, Michael, Ryan, and Trey Newman. Welcome to the College Football Bros podcast. I am Michael Newman, and I'm joined by the brother who almost hit his upset special this weekend. So close. That's Ryan Newman. (laughs) And by the other brother, who sort of almost hit his upset special. Something like that. Yeah, that'd be me. Trey Newman. (laughs) All right. For those of you who don't know, Ryan had Syracuse to upset Clemson. We'll get to that later, of course. Trey had K-State to upset Texas. That one came down to the wire a little bit, but also just short. But before we get into the show, we want to thank those of you who emailed in uh, with compliments and critiques of of the podcast. Those will be put to good use. And we're also happy to be up to 45-star ratings on Apple Podcasts. But we would really appreciate those of you who haven't already, go into your podcast app and leave us a written review. It helps other people find the show. So let's get into that week five recap. Are you guys ready? Yes, sir. Let's do it. Okay. Syracuse, of course, nearly pulled off the upset, but went down 27 to 23. And we'll start with the brother who narrowly missed his pick. Ryan, what'd you see here? Uh, it would have been legendary. <laughs> it was a great pick. It was <laughs> a great it. pick. Um, yeah, I thought after Syracuse scored that touchdown after the muff punt that that was going to be enough for them to win because they went up by 10 in the fourth quarter. Yeah. And Clemson hadn't done much up until that point offensively. But after that, it's like Clemson just woke up, especially their offensive line. Travis Etienne had huge holes to run through. And Chase Bryce came through uh, with a clutch throw on fourth down on their last drive. And as we all know, they've snuck out the win. But it's going to be interesting to see if Trevor Lawrence will be ready uh, for next week at Wake Forest. Um, But even with him, they were down nine when Bryce came in. So they were struggling with Trevor Lawrence in this game. Um, So Clemson better start, you know, turning it up because it seems like as each week goes by, they look further and further behind Bama and even Georgia at this point. Yeah, I agree. It is it is amazing the the timing of all the the situation with Clemson's quarterback issue with yeah. oh. Kelly Bryant transferring or wanting out and then obviously Trevor Lawrence. But and it does seem like every top team has that one odd team on the schedule that tends to give them fits each year and, and Syracuse happens to be that team for Clemson. But it was really cool to see Chase Bryce do what he did. You know, a guy like that, third string coming in. That was pretty pretty impressive. and But when you look at the stats, you kind of wonder how Syracuse was in it. They lost the first down battle 28-12. to 12. They only rushed for 61 yards. They were outgained by 180, and they had a turnover. So Dungy just didn't throw any touchdowns either. It, it, was, it was surprising. But Syracuse, Syracuse showed that they're not complete pretenders. So good for Babers and that crew. No, yeah, that that defense, uh, aside from getting gashed uh, at the end there on the ground, they played pretty well. But getting back to the quarterback situation, after the injury, of course, the announcing crew brought up Kelly Bryant and the fact that he's transferring. And Todd Blackledge used the word selfish to describe that this isn't a transfer. And to me, that is just, I, that's such BS. Like, I, I don't know, Mike. Or maybe why, it's right. Why? Maybe it is selfish, but he should be selfish. I mean, he's not getting paid right now. He is a player that has a chance to go to the NFL, get a, get a look professionally. So if Kelly Bryant wants to go somewhere 
and finish his final season as a starter where he's getting all the snaps, then he can do whatever he wants. I mean, I don't know. Do you guys have any hot takes against that or? I don't know. It's a very fine line. And we'll kind of talk about that redshirt rule a little later in the pod. But you're with the team. You practice with the team. They're depending on you at that point. It's in the middle of the season. And if you just bail, you hurt that team, you know, and you hurt those guys. And they're depending on you. They've practiced with you. They know you're going to be there. And in this situation, but ultimately, it cost them. ultimately, it is football, you know, whereas Kelly Bryant is thinking about potentially his financial future, like his life because he does have that chance to go pro. So I don't know. I I don't really see the argument against it. But either way, I'm actually secretly hoping for very, very minor injuries to these Clemson quarterbacks so that we get a chance to see Hunter Renfro get yeah. in there. Yeah. <laughs> and I guess that would be great. Did you hear Christian Wilkins, too, is, is very mad that he's not sort of the backup quarterback? Nice. Yeah, I would like to see that. But um Anyway, crazy game. I'm not too worried about Clemson, though. I think it was a lot like last year's game against Syracuse. I'm reserving judgment on the offense until Trevor Lawrence plays, you know, a full game healthy. And we've seen him play a bunch this season, and he's looked great. So um, I expect Clemson to run the table just like they did last year after the Syracuse loss. Oh, this time it's a win, though. But let's move on to West Virginia. They were up 35 to 10 at Texas Tech ended up holding on for a 42-34 win. Trey, what'd you take from here? Yeah, Will Greer was outstanding again, threw for 370, three scores. And the Mountaineers were clearly the better the better team, but like you mentioned, the the Red Raiders made a strong comeback in the second half to to make it entertaining. First string quarterback Bowman ended up getting hurt with what we now know to be a collapsed lung. And that was Jet- a brutal brutal hit. Did you see that? Well, double hit oh, really. Yeah. He got sandwiched between two defenders. Yeah, no, it was that was terrible. And then but Jet Duffy, great name, came in to lead the Red Raiders back. I, I swear Texas Tech just grows these these quarterbacks off of trees somehow. Yeah, how it, did they do that? It's it crazy. is wild. But yeah. have you guys ever heard of a system quarterback? Fair, but yeah. you know the difference too. <laughs> Duffy Mahomes was Holmes is looking pretty good in the NFL. True. Andy Reid's system quarterback now. <laughs> but but Duffy was also effective running, which is kind of unlike some of those other quarterbacks and and uh but the comeback ended after a pick six he threw late, but it was it was an entertaining game in in the second half. But I think West Virginia is is that second team in the Big 12. Yeah, they're making a, a good case for it. Um, to be honest, I didn't watch a ton of the middle of this game. It was on definitely on the second TV because Syracuse Clemson was going on at the same time. But I do find it funny that from what I did see, there was, you know, a good amount of drops from the West Virginia receivers. Will Greer missed on a couple deep balls. Yet still, Trey, you said his stats. He had what looked like a perfect game. So that's how good this offense is. Right. Um, and I think the difference this year is that the defense is a little better. I continue to be impressed with their D-line led by Kenny Bigelow. They're top five in the country in tackles for loss per game. So starting more and more to buy in just like you, Trey. Uh, but really, I think we're not going to totally know how good this team is until the last four games of the season. They have Texas, TCU, Okie State, and Oklahoma. So we'll learn a lot, obviously, after those games. Yeah, it's brutal. Yeah, you guys covered that uh, really well. But uh, I, from what we I've seen so far from the Mountaineers, I'm I'm going to say I'm a believer right now. They've played they've played really well. I'm just been surprised by their defense. I mean, shutting down the Red Raiders in that first half, like the way they did, was impressive. I know they kind of fell asleep a little bit in the second half, but I think they were kind of just coasting a little bit at that point. So impressive. I'm on board now. 
Okay, let's move on to the game of the day. Ohio State at Penn State. Kind of looked like it was over at one point, or at least it was getting there. Penn State scored a touchdown with eight minutes left to go up 26 to 14. But Ohio State scored quickly on that ridiculous catch by uh, by Ben Victor, catch and run. And uh, <laughs> they quickly got the ball back, scored again. And Penn State's last chance. All they needed was a field goal. They had a fourth and five at the Ohio State 43. And they ran a read option, handed it off, and it just got blown up in the backfield. Very questionable call. Of course, that's the talk right now. Everyone's questioning James Franklin. Of course, he got crap after the game from a fan, which yeah. he... yeah. Sort of tried to go after, not really, but I'm not super into the questioning play calls. Like, obviously, it looks bad, especially because the defensive end, Chase Young, just kind of stunted right into it. Um, but calling two timeouts before that play was really bad because then the game was over after that missed fourth down attempt because they couldn't stop the clock. They could have got the ball back potentially after that. So, oh, yeah, yeah, good point. Didn't think that was good, but. Anyway, Ohio State, obviously huge favorites now to win the Big Ten East. The thing that stood out to me in this game, though, Trace McSorley. He was incredible. He got pressured a ton, had some receivers drop passes, but still 286 yards, two touchdowns, and 25 carries for 175 yards on the ground. That's crazy. Really sucked to see a performance that great kind of go to waste. Yeah, I mean, these these games are so fun to watch now. It seems like every year, Penn State, Ohio State, they play a classic game. McSorley is an absolute gamer. Haskins showed he's clutch. And there was just a lot of high level a lot of level plays in this game and I think a lot of one thing that actually did hurt Penn State offensively was their efficiency on third down. They were just 3 of 17. So if they were able to just come up with a few more, you know, plays to be able to come up with some first downs, I think that would have made the difference here. Um and you know, I thought the winner of this game, like I said this earlier, I thought the winner would be in the playoff, so I guess you can kind of go ahead and put the Buckeyes in the playoff. Yeah, they're right now on, according to FPI, they have a 75% chance of making the playoff. Wow, that's pretty high. (laughs) It's very high. Wow. So the play that doesn't get talked about uh, was one right, but the drive before I told the people I was watching the game with when they, or sorry, Penn State punted, they had fourth and five at Ohio State's 36 with four and a half to go. Yep. And they were they were up uh, at the time five points. I said I said they're gonna lose if they punt it. Um, you know, I know hindsight's twenty twenty, or as Gruden says, it's fifty fifty, but <laughs> but countless times these coaches get so conservative at, at such interesting times. You know, I know I know Penn State's defense had played great most of the game, but literally the series before Ohio State easily marched down and scored. And so I feel bad for McSorley like you guys, because he just he his performance was was unbelievable and it's funny how the narrative how fast it can change by by just a single point because if they hold on and win he's clearly on everyone's Heisman ballot or at least near the top oh yeah not and now he's just kind of an average guy at the bottom of everyone's ballot and it's not really fair but that's today's world but it was such a fun game the whiteout is just must see tv i it was a great game to watch well and another thing is is the you talk about the one point being so close. I mean, really, that was a coin flip game, the way it played out. And James Franklin, of course, makes that impassioned speech in the press conference talking about, hey, we're great, not yet elite. We need to, you know, do this and that. We need to eat our Wheaties and whatever the heck he said. I mean, I feel like that's a little bit overreacting. Like, they very easily could have won. I just think it was randomness, maybe a fourth down call here. I know Ohio State 
kind of got lucky with a spot again, you could argue. Um, but I think Penn State showed they are right up there with Ohio State. They just got to show it in the playoffs, you know, get to a playoffs and win a game. What did, what did you call it, Ryan? What did you just say to the me? The playoff. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's what I thought. That's what I thought, because you wouldn't have <laughs> yeah. made it plural. I definitely wouldn't have. All right. Um, let's get to the rapid recaps. Ryan, you are up first. Actually, you know what, Ryan? You're off the podcast right now. You made it. You made playoff plural. So wow, we, we're just going to skip you. Okay, fair enough. No, you can. No, go ahead. Go oh, ahead. Okay. Seriously. Okay. So my first game is Stanford at Notre Dame, and the Irish they really dominated this one, winning thirty-eight seventeen. They had five hundred fifty yards of total offense compared to just two twenty-nine from Stanford. So the Irish look like playoff contenders with Ian Book uh, in charge of that offense. They're playing great. Um, moving on to my second game, it was Ole Miss at LSU, and the Tigers controlled this one from the start, cruising to a 45-16 victory. They had their way on the ground, rushing for 281 yards. Uh, and a statistic, or a startling statistic for the Rebels in this one, they had 17 penalties. It's not a good look for Coach Luke. Hey, USC won up to that. USC had 18 this week. So. And they won. <laughs> <laughs> true <laughs> so it's okay uh my third game uh is texas at kansas state and the longhorns held on to win 1914 uh, in the little apple i know texas has a very good defense but the wildcats just have nothing on offense this year very little production from either quarterback but it does make four straight wins for for the longhorns heading into their big week with in the red river rivalry speaking finally, by the way speaking of penalties do you know how many k-state had in that game I'm going to guess zero. 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 Just, wow, that's, that's crazy. It's the least amount ever. No one has ever had less penalties, fewer penalties that can't in a be game. True. That it's can't true. Be no true. one's had fewer. Out of all the games? Wow. It's true. All right. And finally, my last game is Utah at uh, Wazoo, and the Cougs came through with a hard-fought 28-24 victory. Gardner Minshew was a great find by Coach Leach. He's been awesome so far this year, threw for 300, 300, or 445 yards and three TDs in this one. And the Cougs are now 4-1, and one, so I think they're kind of surprising some folks. I think they're surprising all of us. We were kind of low on yeah, them. We, yeah, we were down on them. We, I didn't think they were going to be as good. The other fun fact about that game is they beat Utah with zero rushing yards. Wow. That's, that's Leach. <laughs> My first game is Michigan winning 20-7 to at Northwestern. Started out 17-0 to Northwestern, but listen to their drives for the rest of the game after that. Punt, 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 end of game. That's not, that's not good. It's not very good. At least I didn't turn it over. Uh, the Michigan defense came through, and uh, Shea Patterson had a pretty gutsy performance in this one as well. Next game, Kentucky climbs to number 13 in the AP poll after beating South Carolina 24-10. to This one was all about their defense. Josh Allen, the better Josh Allen, had three sacks on Jake Bentley, who really struggled in this one. He had three interceptions. And we actually have a Twitter question about Kentucky, so more on them later. NC State kind of quietly remains undefeated. They beat Virginia 35-21. to Ryan Finley continues to be his efficient self, 22 of 32, 257 yards, three touchdowns, and no interceptions. My last game, Virginia Tech bounces back and wins at previously undefeated Duke, 31 to 14. The surprising thing in this one was Daniel Jones, quick return from injury. He's back. Yeah. Uh, but he was easily outdueled by your new permanent Virginia Tech quarterback, Ryan Willis. 
had a QBR of 92 in this game. And my girlfriend was very happy with the result here. Uh, she was cheering for Duke or against Duke because she hates Grayson Allen. Wow. Mm, okay. Nice. I tried to explain. No, we like Duke football, but yeah, no, nope. totally different ball game. <laughs> so, Michael, you mentioned that Shea Patterson was gutsy. So, is it more of a compliment to be gutsy or gritty? That is a good. Would you rather be gutsy or gritty? I'd rather be gutsy. Mm. I'd rather be gutsy. I think I th- it just seems like you're taking more chances. I think. Yeah, no, nah, I think I'll be. I'd take gutsy too. It's a tough call. They're both good. They're both good. <laughs> All right. I'm going to start us out with Florida at Mississippi State. Dan Mullen stole the show in Starkville as he returned home. Uh, the Bulldogs just could not get revenge. They lost to the Gators 13-6. to What has happened to Mississippi State's offense under Joe Moorhead? Fitzgerald was bad. He only threw for 98 yards, was held to 1.6 yards per carry. Can't Good throw. win for Florida. What'd you say, Ryan? You can't throw. <laughs> yeah, you were right about that. He's yeah. not looking great. Not looking great this year. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, this Florida win sets up a fun one versus LSU next week. The next game I'm going to touch on is Oregon at Cal. Oregon won this one 42 to 24. Impressive win for the Ducks considering the crushing loss that they had last weekend to Stanford. Herbert was masterful once again. Although Cal has gotten better under Wilcox. They aren't quite ready for the big time, and and that showed in this one. And they had five turnovers. Ouch. Next game, BYU at Washington. Washington turned in a dominating performance, winning this one 35-7. They held BYU to 34 yards rushing. Browning played one of his best games, went 23-25 for 277 yards. The Huskies owned the Cougars in pretty much every category. Finally, Pitt at UCF. UCF won this one 45 to 14. First of all, Pitt seems to be going nowhere under Narduzzi, especially with his calling card being defense. They haven't fielded a good one in the last few years. Milton, great again, 328, six combined touchdowns. The Knights continue to roll and haven't missed a beat under Josh Heupel so far. UCF's chances of making the playoff over under one tenth of one percent. <laughs> oh wow over <laughs> okay over under one percent okay under under <laughs> yeah unfortunately they just don't have the schedule yeah it's not gonna no, happen they needed they needed to have like they had north carolina on their schedule they needed north carolina to be good yeah they needed some of these big pit to be good it just didn't happen yeah yeah all right let's get to our segments and we have a mailbag here our first question comes on twitter from at deloid 69 He says, if Kentucky runs through and loses to Georgia or in the SEC championship game, will Benny Snell be the front runner for the Heisman Trophy? So I'll take this one first. Um, I mean, if they do go 11-1 and or something like that, which is obviously a huge if, I would think he'd make it to New York, but I still doubt he'd be the front runner. I think Tua and Kyler Murray, maybe a couple other guys still going to be hard to beat. And it's just hard for a running back to win it, especially if you're not on Alabama. You look at the stats. Let's just look at the Stanford running backs that have come in second. Yeah, McCaffrey in 2015, 2,600 combined rushing and receiving yards. Was also a great kick returner and punt returner. He didn't win it. Bryce Love last year had close to 2,000 yards in the regular season, 17 touchdowns. So I don't think Benny Snell is going to get there. He's going to have to pick it up. He's on pace for about 1,500 yards. I'm just not sure that'll be enough. 
Yeah, I completely agree with you, Michael. That was my same thoughts. Is just he could do enough at eleven and one. That'll be enough to get him to New York, especially since you know he's going to have good stats if they're eleven and one. It will be probably because he has good games, but. You're just not going to beat out Tua. I mean, Tua's the heavy favorite at this point. His stats are just unreal. His efficiency is crazy. And it's just hard to see Bama losing a game at this point. They've just been so dominant. So I think Benny can get there if Kentucky does really, really well, but not going to be a favorite. No, I I agree with everything you guys said. And I I love Benny Smell. And and honestly, I hope Kentucky goes on a run like that. And if you're Kentucky, they they couldn't ask for a better remaining schedule. Yeah. That's true. They they only have they have Georgia only, but it's in it's in at Kentucky and outside of that, you know, they they could they're not they might not run the table, but it's a it's a very favorable schedule considering they're in the SEC. So he could continue to put up some gaudy numbers, but but like you guys, I don't I don't see him winning it or being the front runner. Yeah, when you look at their schedule, it's one of those where kind of knowing what Kentucky is, every game's winnable or, you know, most of them are winnable, but there's also most of them can be losable. So Yeah. Yep. You know, they might need luck on they're certainly going to need luck on their side if they're going to get to 11 and 1 or probably even 10 and 2. I think they're going to need to be lucky, but you, like you say the schedule is not daunting. Next question is a voicemail. And by the way, the phone number for that is 260-CFB-BROS. Be sure to call us this weekend, ask any questions you have for the show, give your comments about your favorite team, yell at us, yell at Trey. Trey, you can you can take some Yeah, I probably deserve it. Yeah. Okay. That's good. Good. All right. Let's play this one. Hello, college football brothers. This is Andrew Tay calling from Canada. My question is about the new four-game redshirt rule, specifically how it affects the quarterback situation at Clemson. Can Dabo and the Tigers win playoff games without Kelly Bryant on the depth chart? What do you think of this new rule? I'll hang up and listen. From Canada. Yeah. Love it. Great White North. <laughs> yeah. Man. That's cool. All right. Didn't know they liked college football up there. We've got we've got some fans. We've got like I you I can see on there where people are listening from. I saw a lot of Nigeria. We might have actually. I don't know. We might have had one. Did you, <laughs> did you see that, or are you just making that up? No, I said I just threw out a country. Oh. I don't. Know. We're international though. <laughs> Japan for sure. We've had Germany uh, hmm. all over the place. Wow, <laughs> weird. Uh, all right, getting to his question here. Um, could Clemson win a playoff game? without Kelly Bryant. Yes, Clemson can win without Kelly Bryant. I don't think they could win the, t- the title. Uh, I don't think they could beat Bama. Um, oh, so you think that what? They can't do it? Like it's impossible? Okay. I just don't see it happening. There's a sliver of a chance they could, but it won't. Over under um, one-tenth of one percent of a chance. <laughs> <laughs> significantly over. <laughs> um, but, you know, even though he did struggle this week, Lawrence Lawrence is still the better quarterback there. A um, little bit of an outlier this game. So with that great defense, good running game, they could win a, a playoff game. Do I like the redshirt rule? We kind of touched on that a little bit earlier. I don't know. I'm not totally loving it now since, you know, players are kind of using it as like a trial run just to see how the season's going and be like, you know, a few games in. If I don't like it, I'm just stopping and I'm not going to play and preserve myself. And so I don't necessarily like that. Um, I'm not sure how it should change. Maybe they could change it to like the last four games of the year. So that way teams that are kind of out of it can play their young guys or I don't know, but it just seems like you shouldn't just be able to play four games. If you don't like what's going on, I'm stopping. Just seems a little, yeah, I don't know. It, it rubs me the wrong way. Yeah. I mean the, the red shirt rule can, can definitely use some improvement, but I, I like where it's, where it's gone now and yeah, they can tinker with it, but uh, I'm going to reserve judgment on it until I really see 
after a full year or maybe even two of, of, of how it impacts these teams. But, but to the actual question, yes, with, without Kelly Bryant, they, they can win without him. Uh, and you know, you look at their remaining schedule, it's very favorable. So they could definitely there. I can see them making the playoff and with Lawrence improving each game probably. And with their defensive line, they can win. And like you said, Ryan, they probably can't beat Bama, but there's no reason they couldn't beat anyone else. All right. I think you guys covered that well, pretty much, uh, except for your thoughts on the redshirt rule, Ryan. I agree with everything you said. Last question comes from at CFB bros. Not sure who they are, but you should all follow them on Twitter. Yeah. There are six teams with a greater than 30% chance to make the playoff per ESPN's FPI. Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, Georgia, Notre Dame, and Oklahoma. Who do you think is the most likely to make the playoff of the teams not in that group? I'm going to say Washington. I know they have a loss, but it was so early and it was obviously to a good Auburn team and it was it was practically a road game. Since then, they've handled business easily against some decent teams. They still have plenty of games left to make statements to help them climb back into the mix. They play Oregon, Colorado, Stanford, Wazoo, and then a potential Pac-12 title game. So I'm going to say the Huskies. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's obviously a reasonable pick. I'm going to go with Michigan, though. And the reason is, I mean, it's kind of similar. They also had a loss to a very good team on the road uh, at the beginning of the season. Uh, But the difference, I think, with Michigan is that they might be able to afford another loss. It doesn't necessarily knock them out. Like if they lose to Penn State and then they win out, they beat Ohio State, they win the Big Ten Championship, there's at least a decent chance that they can still get in the playoff. Yeah. Um, and I think the the schedule in some ways works out. Obviously, they got the whole Big Ten East left, but Wisconsin at home, Penn State at home, Michigan State on the road, but they have certainly looked vulnerable. So I'm still high on Michigan. Yeah, I think you guys picked two good ones. They're probably my two favorites um, that for me as well. But I'll just say a different team just to shake things up here. I'm going to say the Badgers. They still have a good chance to make it. Um, I picked them before the year to make the playoffs. So maybe I guess I'll stick with them. I'm not going to jump off the bandwagon yet. Um, they, <laughs> maybe you should. <laughs> I should. They have games at Michigan, at Penn State, and the Big Ten title game. Um, so... If they win out, I don't see how there's any doubt they could get left out with those types of wins. Not to mention Nebraska this week. That would be a great win. So, Oh, for sure. Yeah, for huge sure. one. So I'll say the Badgers. They, they still have a decent chance. Okay, next segment is a hot seat. And Trey, you are on the hot seat. Are you ready? Bring it on. Okay. First question, which Power 5 head coach will be the first to get fired? So it's easy to look at the the worst schools like Kansas, Illinois, and Rutgers, but they're not really sexy. So I'm going to go with Larry Fedora at North Carolina. Yeah, that's a good pick. But he's sexy though, Trey. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, didn't mean to put it that way, but sure. <laughs> with the turmoil off the field, the last lack of success the last couple years, they're now one and three, and their only win was by three points against Pitt. Yeah, so they're they're in a world of hurt. I agree. Okay, next, Auburn, concerned. Or nah? Nah. I I know it wasn't pretty versus Southern Miss this weekend, but there was almost a three-hour weather delay during the game. The field was pretty soggy after the delay. So I'm, I'm willing to throw this, this last game out. I'm not really concerned with Auburn at this point. They beat a good Washington team. They lost on a last-second field goal to LSU. 
And history has kind of shown us that the Gus Malzahn teams, they tend to hit their stride later in the season. So I'll reserve my worries until the second half of the year. Who gets a win first, Chip Kelly or Scott Frost? I'm going to say Scott Frost here, but hear me out on how this could be a tie. Looking, looking now, it looks like they're going to each lose their next two games as they play tough, ranked opponents, and road games. But on October 20th, UCLA hosts Arizona and Nebraska hosts Minnesota. Nebraska is probably more likely to beat Minnesota than UCLA is to beat Arizona, but it's not unreasonable to think that they could both win that day. Now, if they both lose, Nebraska has a sure win in Bethune-Cookman, their, their makeup game for their they canceled one earlier, and then whereas UCLA has to play Utah. So I think it's more likely Frost will. What time are those games? What time are those games, the Minnesota? I'm not going to uh, get down to the hour. <laughs> okay. All right. If you were really committed to the podcast, you would have checked the time. Oh. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> all right, Trey, last question. Who the hell do you think you are? <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> Follow-up question. How I'm dare you? I'm a college you? football bro. I'm a college football bro. <laughs> all right. <laughs> all right. Good answer, I, Trey. I like that answer. Good I like answer. that. You passed the test. Yeah. We are done with our segments, and it is time for the Week 6 preview. Our first game is number 5, LSU, a a 2.5-point favorite at number 22, Florida. Ryan, what do you see here? Yeah, I definitely didn't expect this game to have uh, such huge implications before the season started, but with only one loss between them, we got a huge one in the swamp. Um, I'm going to take LSU in this one, though, and the main reason is because I think they have a more consistent ground game. Um, and they really do a good job of taking care of the ball. So I don't feel like they're going to be the team that makes the the big mistake to lose this game. Whereas I could see Felipe Franks doing that, even though he's been <laughs> solid. He's been yeah, solid. he's been okay. Yeah, he's been solid. But uh, I, I got to go with LSU. Um, it's like obviously going to be a low scoring game, but I'm going to say the the Tigers win by about three. All right, I actually like Florida here. Um, I know the offense for LSU is improving. Uh, they looked great, of course, against Ole Miss, but. So does pretty much everybody against Ole Miss. So I'm still not completely sold. I think they're susceptible to a bad game against a solid defense. Burrow did look good running the ball, but we saw with Florida going up against uh, Nick Fitzgerald, they don't really have a problem with handling mobile quarterbacks. So also think it's going to be a low scoring, ugly game because obviously Florida is not going to put up a ton of points either on this LSU defense. But I'll say Florida at home with the Dan Mullen magic pulls off the upset 21-20. So I think the key in this game is Nick Brissett running back for LSU. He, they, Florida has a, a pretty solid defense, but they've given up 171 yards per game on the ground. So LSU needs to capitalize on, on that and, and take away some of the pressure off of Burrow and, and the passing game. I'm, I'm kind of with you, Ryan. I like LSU here as I think Florida is just a bit of a pretender. Not, not that I'm totally bought into LSU, but I think Florida is more of a pretender and their offense. Florida's offense hasn't been able to do anything against good defenses this season. Okay, number 19, Texas takes on number 7, Oklahoma. The Sooners are a a 7.5-point favorite in the Red River shootout. Game day is going to be at this one, so maybe the biggest game of the day. Even though Texas hasn't been all that good the last few years, they seem to always play well in this one. It's been a one-score game each of the last four years, so I think that might happen again. Texas brings in a top 15 defense into this matchup. The offense isn't great, but you don't need to be great to put up points against Oklahoma. So even though Ellinger hasn't been explosive through the air, he's taking care of the ball 
128 straight passes without an interception. That's the third longest streak in Texas history. I think Texas can do just enough to keep it close and cover in a close loss. Yeah, I agree. We we don't really know how good Oklahoma is since they haven't really played anyone. I mean, I know they're putting up these gaudy numbers and Kyler Murray's looking ridiculous. They haven't really played anybody. So this is a chance for for them to make a statement against Texas, but it's also a chance for Texas to prove that that they belong. And when you look at Oklahoma's schedule, this is the there's a chance this is the only ranked team they face all year until West Virginia in the last last game of the year, but but that that's a that's a different story. Oklahoma's defense is their shortfall. They've given up over 400 per game against inferior opponents. So I think Texas is going to put up some points, and I think they cover here as well. Yeah, in a rivalry game like this, I mean, where a a seven and a half more than a touchdown just seems like a lot of points for me, especially against a Texas team that's won four games in a row Um, and a Sooner defense that's, you know, not exactly stout. So I agree with you guys. I think the the Longhorns will keep it close. I think that that Longhorn defense is going to rattle Kyler Murray into making a few mistakes. Um, It's going to keep this one interesting and tight throughout. So give me the Longhorns. I will say in this game, if, if Kyler Murray has a big game, you could see this could be the time where he vaults ahead of Tua in the Heisman discussion. Just, oh, yeah. Just because Tua hasn't had the volume, you know, efficiency wise, Tua has been unbelievable, although so has Murray. But Murray's got the the counting stats, the touchdowns and everything. So if he has a big game here, he might he might jump into the lead in the Heisman. Yeah, yep. uh, he definitely would. All right. Next game, number six, Notre Dame is a five and a half point favorite against number 24, Virginia Tech. What are you thinking here, Trey? Yeah, Virginia Tech, they as you touched on earlier, they bounced back bounced back nicely last week. They won convincingly at Duke. And it's not often you say that that was uh, an impressive win, but unbeaten ranked Blue Devil team on the road. Ryan Willis, he was unstoppable. If he manages to beat the Irish, he's probably better than Josh Jackson. Yeah, I think a lot of Virginia Tech fans are saying that already. Yep. Virginia Tech Obviously, they've, they've looked vulnerable to the pass, so they, they need to get pressure on book. But they've been allowing less than 100 yards per game on the ground, so that's their best chance to, to win this one. And the Irish, they, they have looked a little more competent on offense with book, but now they have to do it in Lane Stadium at night. It should be a great atmosphere. So I really like the Hokies here, and I'm going to ride Willis, and I'm going to make the Hokies my lock of the week. Ooh, nice. Wow. Um, I, I disagree with you here, Trey. Um, I, I like Notre Dame here. I don't think, uh, even if the good Virginia Tech team shows up, not the one that played at Old Dominion, but even the good one, I, I still think Notre Dame beats them. I like, uh, the way Ian Book's been playing. He's made Notre Dame's offense a lot more, uh, lethal. And I just think that Irish defense will shut down the Hokies. The Hokies don't have a super strong ground game and the Notre Dame has the ability to make them one dimensional. And I don't know if I can trust Ryan Willis one a one-dimensional offense with Ryan Wills against a great Notre Dame. Whoa! Beat. So whoa, whoa! <laughs> I'm giving the points here. I'm very confused why you don't think Ryan Willis isn't the greatest quarterback of all time. <laughs> right? Yeah, he's proved it over a matter of two weeks. Yeah. No, I I am a believer though in Ryan Willis. He's looked great against a, a very good Duke defense. I really like their receivers too for Virginia Tech, especially Damon Hazelton, the Ball State transfer. He's averaging 23 yards a catch. So. Trey, you mentioned that Virginia Tech hasn't been great against the pass. Of course, we saw that against Old Dominion, but they didn't have Divine Diablo in that game at safety. He's coming back healthy, so I think uh, they have just enough to to pull off the upset here. You're wrong. <laughs> I'm not wrong. I'm not wrong. You want to make a bet on it, Ryan? Sure. 
All right, what are we betting? Uh, Ooh, bros bet. We'll, we'll talk off air about that, maybe. Talk off pod. All right, well, let's think about it. Let's think about it. We'll, we'll circle back to this later on the pod. By the end of the podcast, we'll have a bet. All right. All right, next game, number 13. See that? Right? That was like classic showbiz move. You got to keep them wanting more. You got to keep them coming back for that for that advertisement we have later in the podcast yeah we nailed that (laughs) uh number 13 kentucky at texas a&m the aggies are a five and a half point favorite ryan what are you thinking uh can't believe we're actually just mean like what are you thinking about oh uh just you know how how i'm gonna win that bet that we're talking about (laughs) probably not (laughs) uh i i can't believe we're actually covering this game as a full preview kentucky uh but it really deserves to be covered. Uh, both of these teams have been pleasant surprises this year. A&M's only losses are to maybe the two best teams, two out of the three best teams maybe in the nation, um, Clemson and Bama. Uh, so they have a good resume. Although Kellen Mond struggled a bit last week against Arkansas, showed a little bit of you his... Did, you had to say that. You just, you know. You're looking to bring Mond down. Anything you can do. <laughs> he did. It was, he threw a couple <laughs> picks against a bad team, you know. But I, I'm saying, I think he's no doubt improved. So I think he's going to bounce back. So I'm actually going to take the Aggies. Because um, I think when you f- go to the other side of the, the the quarterback battle, Terry Wilson, he is, he's my new Kellen Mond. I oh, mean, come on. He, that, he's, throwing, throwing, he's throwing two touchdown passes against five picks so far this year. And that's not good. So I'm going to say uh, <laughs> A&M's going to win because of the quarterback difference. That's fair. And, and, I agree with you on on Terry Wilson. You know, he is completing over 60% of his passes, but he's only averaging 150 in the air. And then you mentioned that ratio. So he's a little more effective. He he can be effective with his legs. But if Kentucky wins this one in Kyle Field, then maybe I'll really start to buy into them. I'm all in on on Benny Snell. I love him, Uh, but I'm I'm tough and I, I need more proof that the Wildcats... Are, are legit. The problem for Kentucky in this one is that AM has a very capable rush defense, at least up to this point. The Aggies, they do give up over 270 in the air, but as we talked about, that's probably not going to be an issue with, with Wilson. So based off of these teams' strengths and weaknesses, I like the matchup better for the Aggies. Yeah, I'm going to agree with you guys on this one. Uh, but if Kentucky does win this game, they will be, of course, 6-0, and 4-0 in the SEC, for the first time since 1950. Wow. Trivia question for you guys. Who was the head coach of that team? Adolf Rupp. <laughs> no, <laughs> wrong sport. Uh, no. I'm gonna, it was Pat Riley. Yeah, good Isn't point. Pat Riley? Wow. Yeah. No, I'm going to say uh, John Calipari. No, what, who is it? Bear Bryant. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Yeah, so that that's a long time. Um, and yeah, this Kentucky team is, is hard to figure out if, if we're just looking at resume, this is why I'm really glad I don't have to do a top 25. Cause if you're just looking at the resume, why aren't they top five, top 10, you know, Florida's ranked. I yeah. mean, they're the wins, the actual wins they've won by double digits every game too. And they've beaten some, some good teams. So they purely based off resume deserve to be up there. But of course we use our logic. We know it's very unlikely they're actually that good. Uh, and I think this one's going to be maybe a little bit too tough for them. You saw what A&M did to a full-strength Clemson team at home. And if you look at Massey Peabody's numbers, A&M is the best offense that Kentucky has faced. So if Terry Wilson needs to go to the air, we've all said we're not really trusting him on that. So I'll also take A&M. But now let's get to our honorable mentions. Trey, you are first. 
My first game is number eight Auburn minus three and a half at Mississippi State. Moorhead and Fitzgerald come into this tilt slumping on offense, so they need they need to figure something out in a hurry if they want to beat Auburn. They've scored a total of 13 points in their two SEC games. Auburn's coming into Starkville looking pretty solid, but they need to prove their doubters wrong. It seems too obvious to take Auburn, so I'm going to go contrarian and give the Bulldogs one last chance. Let's get those cowbells going, Moorhead. (laughs) Yeah, they need it. They need it. Utah at Stanford. Number 14 Stanford is currently a five-point favorite. Bryce Love is questionable in this one after getting hurt against Notre Dame. But even with Love in the lineup, they've only averaged 94 yards on the ground. Utah comes into this game with a pretty solid defense, and now they really know Stanford is is one-dimensional. Huntley and the offense haven't been firing, but Stanford gives up over 150 on the ground per game. So look for Moss to have a solid day, and I like the Utes to cover. Number four, Clemson is a 17-point favorite at Wake. Trevor Lawrence is questionable, as we discussed earlier. Uh, But even if he can't go, this Clemson rushing attack with ETN and crew, they're going to have a field day against Wake Forest, whose defense is is poor to say the least. They give up over 450 yards per game. Even their new defensive coordinator won't be able to fix anything like that. And after their close call versus Syracuse, Dabo's going to have his guys ready. I like Clemson. All right, Finally, I've, hey, I've got a hypothetical for you guys All right, on this one. So it does look like maybe Trevor Lawrence will play. He's got a neck strain, but we'll, we'll see. Let's say he can't play, and for whatever reason, Chase Bryce is out. What would the point spread be? So if, if Hunter Renfro had to be the quarterback, what would the point spread in this game be? Ooh, wow, that's a really tough question. Um, I feel like you'd have to make like a two TD difference to not have a guy that could throw. I'm going to say Clemson would be favored by like three. Yeah, I mean, I would I would say six or seven. That's crazy. That's crazy that they'd still... I don't know, because you could tell me that Wake Forest should be favored by seven, and I'd be like, okay, I believe you. I just have no idea. Yeah. Yeah, Who maybe. Knows? I just feel like they could run it down their throat. But yeah, I agree. I agree. It's an interesting question. Um, all right. Finally, Vandy at number two, Georgia. Georgia's favored 27. I've been a little disappointed with Vandy this year. It just it just hasn't clicked for them so far. Georgia's from and the rushing attack led by Holyfield, Holyfield and Swift should be effective in this one. But 27 points is a lot. I expect Georgia to surrender a late score or two to Shermer. And Vandy will cover in the end because Georgia's looking ahead to their road game at LSU next weekend. Okay, another hypothetical. Uga, the dog, has to start at quarterback. What's the point spread in that oh. one? 50 they just dominate (laughs) yeah all right that's fair that's fair (laughs) uh my first game florida state at number 17 miami the hurricanes are a 12 and a half point favorite i still think fsu is very very bad they've just played some really bad teams the couple past couple weeks northern illinois and louisville and they were really lucky to beat louisville petrino decided to pass rather than run some clock down Um, So I think Miami's defense, which is getting a couple key players back from injury, I think they're going to shut FSU down, and I'm going to make this my lock of the week. Next game, Arizona State at number 21, Colorado. The Buffaloes are a a two-and-a-half-point favorite. They're 4-0, but their opponents are a combined 1-16. Wow. And Arizona State's been competitive in every game against some pretty good teams. So I'll say Manny Wilkins gets the win on the road. Next game, SDSU at Boise State, or Boise State, sorry, Andrew. Uh, The Broncos are a 14.5-point favorite. The perception here might be that San Diego State is shorthanded with 
senior quarterback Christian Chapman out, but Ryan Agnew has been okay as a backup. He's more mobile than Chapman, so he does have that on him. And star running back Jawan Washington is also out, but the backup Chase Jasmine is actually averaging more yards per carry, so not too concerned about those injuries. I'll take San Diego State. Final game, Boston College at number 23, NC State. NC State's a four and a half point favorite. I have not been impressed with BC's defense the last few weeks. They gave up 35 points to Temple last week, and the offense might be without A.J. Dillon, who left last week's game with an ankle injury. So I will take NC State to remain undefeated. Silently undefeated there. Yes, very, very quiet. Very sneaky. Very sneaky. (laughs) Very, very sneaky. (laughs) All right, uh, I'm going to start with Iowa State at number 25, Oklahoma State, who was uh, an 11-point favorite. Iowa State really needs to start picking up some wins if they want to uh, go bowling again this year. They're currently 1-3 and three on the year. Um, but I do like the Cyclones here for that reason. I think they'll play with a sense of urgency and uh, cover that 11-point spread. Not sure they'll win, but they'll cover the spread. My next game is Missouri at South Carolina, and the Gamecocks are a two-point favorite right now. Uh, the Gamecocks need a win here after losing at Kentucky last week. They're 2-2. Two and two. But I don't think they're going to get it. I think Drew Locke will have a big game. Uh, I didn't like what I saw last week out of uh, your boy, Michael. Jake Bentley. Yep, exactly, Bentley. Uh, So I think Drew Locke's going to outperform him, and he's going to lead the Tigers to a a close win. My third game is Alabama at Arkansas, uh, and the Tide are favored 34.5. Not much needs to be said about this one. Uh, Arkansas is going to upset Alabama. uh, Oh, okay, yeah. No, yeah. (laughs) This game is, is not safe for work. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. No, I think the, the spread's 34 and a half. They might get there by halftime, honestly. But if you're going to, if you go like what happened to this week, Alabama, they covered the spread a half and then they lost the spread, I think, at the end of the game against Lafayette. Yeah, they might just sit on that lead. Yeah, they just sat. They, <laughs> exactly. So that might happen here. Um, and then my last game uh, is Iowa at Minnesota, and the Hawkeyes are currently favored six points. Uh, both teams are coming off of bye weeks, uh, so they have a lot of time to, to prepare for this one. But I got to go with the Hawkeyes, as I think they'll completely shut down that one-dimensional Minnesota offense and that true freshman quarterback. And I'm actually going to make this one my lock of the week. All right, that does it for the week six preview. Let's end the podcast with a questionable finish. Hawaii and San Jose State battled fatigue in a game that went five overtimes this weekend. Hawaii came up with the W. But my question is, what is the most tired you have ever been? That's a good question, uh, Mike. When I was in college, we had to do a workout for basketball, and we had to do 30 suicides in an hour. And the amount of time we'd get to complete each one would get shorter and shorter. So by the end, we were having to do like 30-second suicides, and we were just dead tired. That was damn near impossible. Only a couple of people actually on the team were able to legitimately finish it under the amount of time that was given. And I wasn't one of them, but <laughs> it was I was dead. I was dead. <laughs> that does not sound fun. Mine was also in college. I pulled an all-nighter studying for finals, took the finals the next day, and then decided to drive up to visit a friend in Northern California. Halfway through, I was getting tired, so decided to pull over, get some in and out, and I fell asleep in the drive through lane. Oh, no. Well, good thing you pulled over. <laughs> well, I woke up to an employee knocking on my window, <laughs> and I pulled forward, got my food, and regrouped and i was good to go (laughs) (laughs) true story nice well mine was similar to in in terms of driving i i went i drove from southern california at dawn all the way north up to fresno for a nebraska fresno game 
The game didn't kick off until 8 p.m., so we didn't start driving back home until after midnight. Drove all night, then I had to change, shower, and go to... I went to a Chargers-Seahawks game that afternoon, which happened to be one of the hottest days on record in San Diego. Oh. So that Sunday night, I, I after no sleep, driving, heat, I could have slept for 24 hours. Is that the game that I was with you, that Trey? Yeah, well, I was there too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that one was brutal. Hot. <laughs> that was so hot. That was rough. That was the hottest we've ever been. Yeah. Wow. Name something you'd rather watch than Illinois at Rutgers. Lacrosse. No, no. Actually, I like lacrosse. I, I was just thinking about that Dr. Pepper commercial. <laughs> It's a gateway sport, though. Yeah, the saying is, is these two teams bring out the best in each other. But with these two, is it they bring out the worst in each other? Like, can someone outworst the other one? We'll find out. So my answer, uh, you brought it up, Trey. I would rather watch Fansville. <laughs> <laughs> nice. All right. Um, I would rather watch Nebraska play at Ohio State. Ooh. And that oh, one's going to be rough. Don't say that. Don't say that. Yeah. No. It's going to be a rough one for us Newmans. All right, last question. What is your upset special for this weekend? I will go first. I'm going to take Oregon State to win at home as 17.5-point underdogs against Washington State. I just feel like you never know when Washington State's going to cougar. it. Last year, of course, came off big wins against USC and Oregon. Lost 37-3 to at Cal. So that was weird. Just a gut shot here. I'll say they lay an egg. Also, look out for Oregon State freshman running back Jamar Jefferson. Already has 200 two 200 yard rushing games this season all right i'm gonna take nevada plus 12 hosting fresno state fresno and tedford they're they're solid i'm a big fan of them but this game's in reno it's late night nevada has a highly potent offense they just won as an underdog at air force and i think they can win here in a possible shootout versus the bulldogs all right trey i like that um i'm gonna take the cyclones they're uh, an 11 point dog in stillwater but I think the Cyclones are due. They, they've had three tough losses at Iowa, OU, and at TCU. So three tough games that they competed in. But I think they can get the job done here. All right, that'll do it for our Week 6 preview. Ryan, we have to decide what is our bet going to be. Oh, yeah. First of all, is it going to be against the spread in that Virginia Tech-Notre Dame game? Oh, well, of course. I it mean, better be. It better be. Okay. That's the way we do things. Yeah. Okay. So how about the winner has to do or no the loser sorry the loser has to do a top five next week a top five list and it has to be the top five reasons that the other brother is better than you wow oh wow so you i mean you got a lot to choose from there mike <laughs> yeah yeah i'm sure it'll just it'll just pour out of me i won't even need to prepare <laughs> no all right so we got a deal all right deal all right cool all right all right, before we close out the episode, I've got one shout out to give. We didn't bring it up. Middle Tennessee State went for two. Brent Stockstill made an amazing throw. Looked like it was dead in the water. Went for two to beat Florida Atlantic. Huge game in Conference USA. Yeah, that was a huge win. That was gutsy. Gutsy. <laughs> oh, gutsy. Was it gutsy or gritty? Uh, no, that was gutsy. Okay, <laughs> it was gutsy. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, thanks for listening, everyone. Enjoy football this weekend, and we'll talk to you next week. You've been listening to the College Football Bros. If you have any questions for the next podcast, email them to collegefootballbros at gmail.com. To keep up with the brothers on social media, like them on Facebook at College Football Bros, follow them on Instagram at College Football Bros, and for their commentary on Saturdays, follow them on Twitter at CFB Bros. Thanks for listening.